Good morning. All right. Well, welcome to our family gathering. Welcome to Cultivate. We call it the family gathering because we believe we are God's family. Um, we believe we are his family because he brought us in through the adoption uh, by sending his son, uh, by bringing lost family members home. Um, and I am one of those family members that God continues to bring home by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, we've been going through a series, if you've been here, um, for the past uh, few weeks. I don't know exactly how long. The series lasts 13 weeks, but we're, we're, it's entitled Upside Down Axioms. And an axiom, according to the definition, because I don't know it off the top of my head, is a self-evident truth, something that's universally accepted or true. Uh, it's a principle that is self-evident, doesn't need explaining. But there are some things that Jesus said in his teachings that need a little bit more explaining because they're confusing at first glance. And uh, we don't want to just follow the sayings of Jesus that sit well with us. We want to follow Jesus even when his words cut across the grain of our heart, even when his words bring a lot of questions and we have to wrestle with those questions so that we can understand the truth that he's declaring to us and follow it with all our heart and all our lives. Amen? Yeah. So we've been going through um, this for a while as a church. What was last week? I'm completely blanking. I what was it? Yes, be nice. Yes, be yes. Okay, so last week we talked about letting our yes be yes. I was there, but I just do not remember it. I do not remember it. Um, it's been an awesome series. It's been uh, very challenging, wrestling through it, very convicting, um, very timely. Like, I love that about the Holy Spirit. Um, you don't have to go far into the realm of like going into the place where God is to realize that God doesn't need to know exactly what has happened in our life that week or what we've been through to speak to us. Like his Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word by his anointing in ways that sometimes dumbfound or confound us. Has anybody experienced that? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, um, that has been happening throughout the series much, so, yeah. Okay, so today, what are we talking about today? Our topic today is a difficult one, and I'll be honest, it's one that when I read, and as I read this, it can be one that we read with questions, with fear, um, we can read it confused because some of the things that are said in it seem to go against the grain of the God that we know. So we want to approach this today with a heart that is open to hear um, what the Spirit would say to us. Um, so let me read the scripture and we'll pray and we'll get into it, okay? So in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, um, Jesus is he's speaking in this passage about judging others and judgment, and uh, he touches on false teachers. And then he lands on this passage in verse 21, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ouch, right? One of the, I like bringing humor into the context of a sermon. But I, I couldn't find an appropriate place for it today. Because this is heavy. So when God's word is heavy, I want it to be heavy. I want it to be heavy on my heart. I can't think of like anything more terrifying than that. Like, our chance on earth in this place 
has ended. And we are before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Right? Like, the way he's described in the book of Revelation, like, his eyes blazing like fire. His hair white like wool. You know, his skin, as described, is like burnished bronze. Like, his skin has a radiance where light is coming from him, not on him. It's coming from him in a way where we cannot stand before him. When Jesus, on this day, looks at men, everything that stands opposed to him will be silenced by his presence. And I think we have to let that weight of Scripture fall. We have to let it weigh on us and our hearts. So what is the axiom here? What is... We're talking about upside-down axioms, things that should be self-evident, like at face value we can look at and say, I get it. But in here, it's upside-down because if we really unpack this section, it raises questions, and I believe that is the intent of Jesus, is that he would have us be examined by his words in this section. So to unpack this axiom, I'm going to start with a dialogue. Nothing's safer than taking the pressure off me. Um, so again, what do you see in this that raises questions? Um, What's what's the problem in this? Let's say that. What's the problem, Arlene? Yeah, totally. Like, okay, there. The idea of miracles and God's will, but then Jesus standing in the middle and saying, "I never knew you." Yeah, where does the power come from? You know, where does the power come from for these miracles? if he's not the author? Or or is he? What else? Yeah. It's kind of the idea of self-deception, right? Thinking that you're working for God only to stand before God and say, where him, he says to us, I didn't know you. What else? James. This is quite a surprise. Um, yeah. Not a, nice, not a nice surprise at all. This is the kind of surprise nobody wants. Tony. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so to summarize, you said that his grace is there to wash away sins. And that's an open invitation. But that doesn't seem to be the case for them, right? He's he's saying, depart from me. So that there's a problem there we have to investigate, right? We have to look a little deeper. Um, because really, it's not that Jesus is mistaken or wrong. Um, we know that because of who he is. That's outside of his character to render a judgment that would not be just, right? God cannot do that. Right. Yeah, good question. We're going we're gonna to get into that later. Where's the bar for us? Twyla. Right. Yeah. It makes you wonder, right. Right. Because he wouldn't call something evil that wasn't truly evil. It's not an exaggeration, right? One observation that I made in in studying this text is, and I think this was mentioned earlier in the dialogue, is that the marks that these 
these individuals who are standing before Jesus are claiming are actually the marks of a true disciple. And they are calling him Lord only to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. So we want to investigate how that can be. Um, let's see. Let's move on. Let's move on to what we, what are some possible reactions? And I think some of those are fleshed out in our dialogue that can happen with this passage. And I'm going to take you through some reactions that happen with me. I think initially this can cause a holy fear in us. Okay, it can cause a holy fear like upon first reading this, the word of God is alive and active and it can kind of run its course through our heart to check our heart. Um, It can also cause us to, in our minds, to judge others. We can begin to like think of televangelists on TV or even certain uh, sects of believers and begin to judge what they do based on this passage. Like, you know what? It's it's all those charismatics with that like casting out demons. Like, I knew that you're getting too close. Like, we can begin to judge outward effects of what people do and we can begin to take that judgment to the heart because that's where Jesus is taking that judgment here. He's not, he's not necessarily judging their out Word works. He didn't say anything about the outward works. He said something that spoke directly to the heart of the individual. He said, you evildoer, you practicer of lawlessness. And that's a judgment that's rendered upon somebody's heart. Okay, so the point that I want to state at first is it's not the works themselves that we are to be scared of and avoid. And here's why. Um, If we judge Scripture against Scripture, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, and I think it should be up behind me, 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues. I'm kind of relying upon this, so you can hit the next slide. Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, this is in his address to the Corinthians where he speaks on spiritual gifts. And he tells us that as believers, there's one body, many parts, there's many gifts, right, that God assigns to all. It's, it's his purview to assign them, but it's, it's the believer's heart level responsibility to desire gifts not for the sake of being gifted or being seen but for the sake of building the church that's the goal of the gifts right that the body of christ would be built up to look like the bride of christ like gifts serve the body not the individual right so it's not that prophesying did we not prophesy it's not that we should avoid prophecy Because prophecy is of God. Not always, but prophecy is a gift that is given by God and it builds the body up. So we don't want to say, well, I don't want to avoid, I want to avoid prophecy or flowing or operating in the gift of prophecy because the gift isn't the problem. The gift builds up the body. We also, okay, so. Maybe the idea and realm of demon possession is outside of our general experience in this culture, in this time, in this place. But the truth is, is that is happening. We encounter it and maybe we don't know it. People are held in bondage by demonic powers, by demons. And if that's the case and that the kingdom that lives within us because of Jesus Christ living in us. The kingdom that he ushered in dispelled darkness, right? Wherever Jesus went, demons bowed in authority. There was never a case where a demon challenged Jesus. Even if they did, it wasn't a challenge. With the word, he can speak and demons flee. 
And if the truth is that demonic possession happens today, then people need to be set free from bondage. Is that true? It would be God's grace. It would be the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like his atoning sacrifice, his blood shed. The fact that he took all sin upon himself, died, rose again on the third day. Then he commissions his disciples and apostles to live and act and do in the same way he live, lived and act, or he lives and acts and what he does. So it's not that the casting out of demons is wrong, because people need to be set free. And I'm kind of belaboring the point a little bit too much. Um, so we could go further, but we're just going to say it's not the works themselves that are the issue. So if it's not these outward acts or the works of these professors that's, that's bad or wrong, the problem must be a heart-level problem. So it's not in what they did, but it's the reason they did what they did. It's what those works were to them. So let's go a little further into this. Um, One of the things that... This is like a heart level thing. One of the things that God really convicted my heart in this message is in the ways that I have trusted works in my own life. In the ways that I've trusted like witnessing to people or praying for healing. And that if I didn't get an opportunity to pray for somebody or to to speak God's truth into someone's life, I would begin to think, like, I blew it, you know. I would begin to be down on myself. Um, and God really had to convict me and be like, what, what were you trusting in? Where was your hope? So, a friend reminded me, good messages have to work in you before they can work through you. And so, before I could say anything, I had to deal with that because God, sometimes what God does when when he wants something in our life to be completely freed by the gospel, he will set it before us so that we have no way to get around it. And here's the crazy thing, sometimes he sets our sin, if a pattern of sin is in our life, even if it's like doing good works for the wrong reasons, he'll set it before us in a way where it's almost like we can see nothing else. And I've had this at a lot of different times in my life where I have felt such a conviction. And the enemy will also really get in there because, you know, we know that Satan loves to steal, he loves to kill, he loves to destroy, he loves to deceive. So he's really active when God's active. So if God is convicting, we can rest assured that Satan's going to be right there. He's the accuser of the brethren. So what's Satan going to do? If God is convicting us of something, Satan is going to take and twist the conviction of God to turn it from something that would free to something that would enslave. It's only the word of God, the love of Christ and the community of of believers that can kind of undo the effects of this condemnation that Satan brings. Something else I wanted to touch upon is that we do know in Scripture that before the Antichrist comes, 
there is going to be a tremendous amount of lying signs and wonders. And that, that is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says the coming of the lawless one is in according to the work of, is coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. I, I underline that phrase because I was like, that right there is the key to testing our own hearts. They did not receive the love of the truth. Okay, so what is receiving the love of the truth? Well, what's the first passage that comes to your mind when I say that? Oh, okay. But now I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, if I understand all mysteries, but have not love, and he goes on. I don't know. I can't quote anymore. But, yeah, it's like, you can... You can work in the way to understand all the mysteries of God. You can study the Bible your whole life and miss the love of Christ in your heart. And I think that is where it's like this gets real for us. Because we all know our hearts are selfish. Like we, we know that. And we know we desperately need a heart transplant. It's not a like 10 steps to a better heart or an exercise routine. The only way that we can have the heart of God and do the will of God is if we get a heart transplant. Right? We know this. Like, Look at Jeremiah and Ezekiel. God's will is that he would take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And I would submit to you that he gives no other heart than his very own. He doesn't give lesser gifts. He gives you his whole heart. His heart. Okay, so the passage that came to my mind um, was John 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From, out, from now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, one of the things I had to wrestle with is I think God wants us to believe in such a way in Him because of what He did and who He was that we can see and believe that he can move in miraculous ways because that's his nature but he wants us to do that in a way where we have a heart to know that it is his glory and it is completely of him and it is that he chose us while we were yet sinners at the same time holding those truths in line not dropping the one for the other. Or... So it's not that we walk around just believing 
I'm just a sinner. Like, God could never use me in a way like that. No, because you're a sinner and because he called you to himself, he cleanses you of that, sets his seal upon you. The Holy Spirit fills you so that he can use you to show a dying world who he is. And he can do that in any way he wants. So it's not the works themselves. So one of the observations from the text is we can have an outward life and a profession that doesn't match our inward life and reality. And this is like the definition of hypocrisy, right? And I have been a hypocrite. I think that's like a scary truth to self-identify with. I have been one who has had who's displayed who God is, but there's been impure things in my heart. And there have been seasons where I've secretly struggled with sin and outwardly lived a righteous life. That's the definition of a hypocrite. And I think we have to let God be God and his word to move upon us in such a way that we see that any sin in our life, we are falling short of the standard of Christ. The truth is that we all have lived as hypocrites one day or another in our lives. And that's a truth we do not like to admit because I think we love to to judge on the basis of comparison. I think that's our heart's, like, go-to. I don't know how else to say it. Our heart's go-to is is to elevate ourselves by looking around and judging other people. So a profession that is only outward... So a profession that is loud but is lacking integrity. A profession that is to be seen by men or for the praise of the men. What does that sound like in the Gospels? Didn't Jesus address that? What does that sound like when the appearance of righteousness, um, doing things to be seen by men, what does that sound like? Pharisees, right? It's like, it's awesome to read the Gospels and see Jesus just like, with his words, like, cut them to the core. Unless we are them. Then it's not so awesome. So what do we do with that? This is kind of a side trail because the mantra of our culture is like only God can judge me um, I don't judge people you know I don't want to judge anybody because that's kind of the message in our culture the truth is we we don't want if we don't want God to judge us that's a much scarier judgment than judging one another. So my question is, what are, how are we called to judge one another in the body? Or are we? Amen. Yeah. To call it out in love so someone can move away from the sin. So it's not that we avoid judgment, right? But that in everything we do, we don't want to be banging cymbals so that all people hear is a loud, obnoxious noise that is our voice and they don't see 
the heart of God, which is to set free, right? So the truth is, when we measure ourselves by ourselves, we lie to ourselves, even to one another. When we measure ourselves by the standard of Christ and his righteousness, that's, that's where God wants us. Because nobody can stand in that place. And that is the place where God can do a transformation on our heart. Amen? So our outward profession and our works are always lacking. They're always insufficient. We could say something with our mouths and not live it with our lives, and we just prove to be liars. It's, so we know that it's not speech. It's not just saying that Jesus is Lord that is saving faith. We know that, right? Like, you can say anything. It says that the demons know that Jesus is Lord. And they shudder. So it's not knowing something. So if it's not knowing or just saying something, then what is Jesus after? I think in order to know that, we want to look a little bit before in Matthew and a little bit after. He's talking about two kinds of trees before this and one that doesn't bear fruit and what happens like in this passage the tree that doesn't bear fruit he says in verse 16 I don't think this he's talking about false prophets he says beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. There's also another passage where Jesus is speaking of a tree that doesn't bear fruit, and what he says is, No, and I'm going to paraphrase this. Let's dig around it. Let's fertilize it. And what I want you to see is God in his grace is fertilizing us with the truth of his word, with the truth of the gospel, all the days of our lives. Every day that we wake up and we we have ears to hear, His spirit is speaking the truth of the gospel to everybody. Romans 1 tells us this, that all creation is held accountable on the basis of creation itself because God has demonstrated who he is in the very created world. Right? How are we doing? Is this this ringing true? Or how are we doing? I never know when God is like, leave your notes, or when he's like, stay to the notes. <laughs> so sometimes I want to just stop my train of thought. Father, I just thank you for the truth of who you are in this room right now. God, I pray that the gospel would be shown brilliantly and brightly. God, I pray that you would get me out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would have his complete way. Lord, we want to be a people who are set free By your power, God. Would you come and do that in every heart this morning, God?
I think that one of the things that weighed so heavily with me about this sermon, I think it was my, I, in this I recognized, I'm going to just, I recognized that could be me. And I think that really scared me. I think I recognized that I could look to being used by God in, in awesome ways, right? And do it for me. I think I could look to my performance in place of Jesus' righteousness. And you can't have both. Either you have Jesus as who he is, and he is Lord, or you're deceived. And I think the truth is, is I have looked to those things. So what does that mean? Does that mean, like, I'm going to stand before him, and he's going to say, depart from me? Because this is something I had to evaluate in my heart because of the truth of Scripture and me knowing my own heart and testing it before God. So like when I'm saying this, I'm not saying it like I'm preaching to myself. So I actually, in my heart, I had to just completely say, repent of that. Because I don't want to be anywhere near this place. I don't want my heart to be anywhere near knowing God in the way he works for my glory, but not knowing his heart or his heart knowing me. That's a really scary place. It's also a scary place To have an inward life that never shows its way out. Because Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So one of the things I wrestled with is the tension between the inward life and the outward life. And we can run to one or the other to say, I'm not saved on the basis of my outward life. It's an inward heart belief. But I think we can just as easily be deceived in that place. We can think we believe. But if there's no fruit to demonstrate that that belief is true, we're in the same place. So what God is saying is that his seed is such that when he plants his seed into the ground and we allow his seed to have his way, right? Like the truth of the gospel. When our hearts are lived in submission to that truth, so that it's like the priority. It will produce fruit because it's of God. So we know that works do not save us. Right? We know it's not on the basis of works. It's not just on the basis of a confession of our mouth alone. If it was on the basis of our works, Jesus wouldn't have to be crucified. Why would he have to die on the cross if we could do anything to save ourselves? He wouldn't. In Isaiah 52, the prophet says, "As As many were astonished at you, 
His appearance was so marred beyond, beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told they see and that which not heard they understand. So the truth in here that, that rings with my heart is Jesus... He was marred beyond any man because the image of God in me was marred beyond recognition. Without his work on the cross, nobody could look and say that person knows God to my life or to any of our lives. So Jesus had to take upon his body our sins and become so disfigured because that's what our lives look like before God's power came in and saved us. Is that true? James 2:14-26 says What does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warm and filled but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. This is not saying we are saved by what we do. But this is saying when God has poured his spirit in our heart, we can't help but love others. We can't help but reach out. Because that is his heart. That is his heart. And if he gives us his heart, we're going to begin to look like Him. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that our outward life is dependent upon our inward transformation. And without inward transformation, we have nothing that is of God working out of us. Make the tree good and its fruit will be good. If you get my heart, Jesus is saying, my mind, it will produce life in you. It will produce the life that looks like the Father. This is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. We can't work for it. We ask I'm sorry this is like so awkward and heavy. (laughs) I don't even know how long I've been speaking. It could have been 10 minutes. It could have been like 50. People are like, it's 50. (laughs) Um, God is really gracious and merciful. He has been so merciful with me. I think what he calls every one of us to by his spirit is repentance. It's living a life where we can look at anything happening in our heart, look at God's word and say, 
my heart doesn't look like your word. And I can't do anything to change it. All I can do, I can confess that it doesn't to you, not before men. I can confess that it doesn't. And I can ask for your Holy Spirit to change me. It's the only way. It has to be a work of God upon our heart. So this week was kind of a crazy week for us. In in these past three weeks have been. So we had a baby a month ago this past Friday. Yay, that was awesome. Um, her name's Evangeline. And the night she was born, I don't know, I got like a lot of energy. And I think that was completely God's grace because Steph did not have a lot of energy because she just gave birth. Um, and I really wanted to to like spend time with God. And I wanted to spend time with Eva. And I like, I love praise and worship music. I love it because there's something that can happen in worship where God can change my mind and my heart. So I can bring like my bad attitude and I can get into a place of worship and I can leave like, what was I even worried about? And that's an awesome gift between that God has given me. He's just, it's an awesome gift that he could do that through worship. It's amazing. So I'm, Pushing the hospital, this like they give you this like um, thing that holds the thing that holds the baby. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's a bassinet, and Eva's in this like clear acrylic case on top of the bassinet. And I remember like putting this song on with these headphones, and they're like awesome headphones. My dad got me for Christmas. They're noise canceling like sweet JBL headphones. And I put this song on. It's called Through and Through. Um, it's by an artist, Will Regan. And I'm, and I'm just like pushing her around the loop in Virtua. And I played this song on repeat for two hours and 47 minutes. I was feeling like a little bit emotional because I just met her, Eva, Right? And this song, the artist, I am not going to sing it, but he he sings, um, he sings, I I find that I am safe and warm. It's like that, taking me back to that moment. Um, In your loving arms, and he just repeats this and plays it on the piano. Um, and I'm just like looking at her and I'm thinking like, yeah, Eva, she's, I, all I want for her in her life, I want her to be safe. You know, that's my job as a father. I want to protect her. So I'm like pushing this around. And God just leads me to like pray for her. So I just start praying for her and I start dedicating her to God. I, my other daughters are not in the room, but I, I never did this. Never did this with any of my children. Like I dedicated them at church, but I've never dedicated them in my heart in a moment. I was just like, God, I want this, this child is yours. I just get the father, but she's yours. Do you see that that's how God sees you? That is God's heart for you. That is God's heart for me. He wants us to be so wrapped in love for Him that everything else becomes silenced. 
where all we hear is the song of the Father over our heart. That is a song that silences the voice of the enemy. I want you to know today that there's nothing, even your own heart, that can stand between you and your Savior. But if God puts his hand as a father on something in your heart to discipline you, he's just showing that he loves you. The enemy loves to come in and say it's about other things because he wants to steal the power and effect of God's redemptive act, which is Jesus' death on the cross from your life because you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness when you are all in in Jesus. God wants to use us in so many ways. So I'll just, we can begin to pray. Um, I would just ask you, is there anything in your heart or life that you need to just agree with God? That's what repentance is. It's just agreeing with God. Yeah, you're right, Lord. This is a pattern of sin in my life. This needs to go. I pray that God would have his way with us today. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are a loving father. We know that your judgments are completely just, God. Your heart is one that is always seeking and saving the lost. You did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God, I pray that we would all let Scripture examine our hearts to test us. Lord, you say in Psalm 139 to to search me and know my heart, know my ways. See if there's any uncleanness, any evil way in me and cleanse me to lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, have your way with us as a body. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.